TED Audio Collective. This TED Talk features civic evangelist and author Eric Liu, recorded live at TED 2019. This show is brought to you by Schwab with Schwab Investing Themes. It's easy to invest in ideas you believe in, like electric vehicles, renewable energy, water sustainability, and more. Choose from over 40 themes. Buy as is or customize the stocks in a theme to fit your goals. Learn more at schwab.com slash thematic investing. Support for TED Talks Daily comes from Odoo. If you feel like you're wasting time and money with your current business software or just want to know what you could be missing, then you need to join the millions of other users who switched to Odoo. Odoo is the affordable all-in-one management software with a library of fully integrated business applications that help you get more done in less time for a fraction of the price. To learn more, visit odoo.com slash TED Talks. That's O-D-O-O dot com slash TED Talks. Odoo, modern management made simple. I bring you greetings from the 52nd freest nation on earth. As an American, it irritates me that my nation keeps sinking in the annual rankings published by Freedom House. I'm the son of immigrants. My parents were born in China during war and revolution, went to Taiwan, and then came to the United States, which means all my life, I've been acutely aware just how fragile an inheritance freedom truly is. That's why I spend my time teaching, preaching, and practicing democracy. I have no illusions. All around the world now, people are doubting whether democracy can deliver. Autocrats and demagogues seem emboldened, even cocky. The free world feels leaderless. And yet, I remain hopeful. I don't mean optimistic. Optimism is for spectators. Hope implies agency. It says I have a hand in the outcome. Democratic hope requires faith not in a strong man or a charismatic savior, but in each other. And it forces us to ask, how can we become worthy of such faith? I believe we are at a moment of moral awakening, the kind that comes when old certainties collapse. At the heart of that awakening, is what I call civic religion. And today, I want to talk about what civic religion is, how we practice it, and why it matters now more than ever. Let me start with the what. I define civic religion as a system of shared beliefs and collective practices by which the members of a self-governing community choose to live like citizens. Now, when I say citizen here, I'm not referring to papers or passports. I'm talking about a deeper, broader, ethical conception of being a contributor to community, a member of the body. To speak of civic religion as religion is not poetic license. That's because democracy is one of the most faith-fueled human activities there is. Democracy works only when enough of us believe democracy works. It is at once a gamble and a miracle. Its legitimacy comes not from the outer frame of constitutional rules, but from the inner workings of civic spirit. Civic religion, like any religion, contains a sacred creed, sacred deeds, and sacred rituals. My creed includes words like equal protection of the laws and we the people. My roll call of hallowed deeds includes abolition, women's suffrage, the civil rights movement, the allied landing at Normandy, 
the fall of the Berlin Wall. And I have a new civic ritual that I'll tell you about in a moment. Wherever on earth you're from, you can find or make your own set of creed, deed, and ritual. The practice of civic religion is not about worship of the state or obedience to a ruling party. It is about commitment to one another and our common ideals. And the sacredness of civic religion is not about divinity or the supernatural. It is about a group of unlike people speaking into being our alikeness, our groupness. Perhaps now you're getting a little worried that I'm trying to sell you on a cult. <clears throat> Relax, I'm not. I don't need to sell you. As a human, you are always in the market for a cult, <laughs> for some variety of religious experience. We are wired to seek cosmological explanations, to sacralize beliefs that unite us in transcendent purpose. Humans make religion because humans make groups. The only choice we have is whether to activate that groupness for good. If you are a devout person, you know this. If you are not, if you no longer go to prayer services or never did, then perhaps you'll say that yoga is your religion, or Premier League football, or knitting, or coding, or TED Talks. But whether you believe in a god or in the absence of gods, civic religion does not require you to renounce your beliefs. It requires you only to show up as a citizen. And that brings me to my second topic, how we can practice civic religion productively. Let me tell you now about that new civic ritual. It's called Civic Saturday, and it follows the arc of a faith gathering. We sing together. We turn to the strangers next to us to discuss a common question. We hear poetry and scripture. There's a sermon that ties those texts to the ethical choices and controversies of our time. But the song and the scripture and the sermon are not from church or synagogue or mosque. They are civic, drawn from our shared civic ideals and a shared history of claiming and contesting those ideals. Afterwards, we form up in circles to organize rallies, register voters, join new clubs, make new friends. My colleagues and I started organizing Civic Saturdays in Seattle in 2016. Since then, they have spread across the continent. Sometimes hundreds attend, sometimes dozens. It happened in libraries and community centers and co-working spaces, under festive tents and inside great halls. There's nothing high-tech about this social technology. It speaks to a basic human yearning for face-to-face -face fellowship. It draws young and old, left and right, poor and rich, churched and unchurched of all races. When you come to a Civic Saturday and are invited to discuss a question like, who are you responsible for? Or what are you willing to risk or to give up for your community? When that happens, something moves. You are moved. You start telling your story. You start actually seeing one another. You realize that homelessness, gun violence, gentrification, terrible traffic, mistrust of newcomers, fake news, these things aren't someone else's problem. They are the aggregation of your own habits and omissions. Society becomes how you behave. We are never asked to reflect on the content of our citizenship. Most of us are never invited to do more or to be more. And most of us 
have no idea how much we crave that invitation. We've since created a civic seminary to start training people from all over to lead civic Saturday gatherings on their own in their own towns. In the community of Athens, Tennessee, a feisty leader named Whitney Kimball Coe leads hers in an art and framing shop with a youth choir and lots of little flags. A young activist named Berto Aguayo led his Civic Saturday on a street corner in the back of the yards neighborhood of Chicago. Berto was once involved with gangs. Now he's keeping the peace and organizing political campaigns. In Honolulu, Raphael Bergstrom, a former pro baseball player turned photographer and conservationist, leads his under the banner Civics is Sexy. It is. Sometimes I'm asked, even by our seminarians, isn't it dangerous to use religious language? Won't that just make our politics even more dogmatic and self-righteous? But this view assumes that all religion is fanatical fundamentalism. It is not. Religion is also moral discernment, an embrace of doubt, a commitment to detach from self and serve others, a challenge to repair the world. In this sense. Politics could stand to be a little more like religion, not less. Thus, my final topic today: why civic religion matters now. I want to offer two reasons. One is to counter the culture of hyper-individualism. Every message we get from every screen and surface of the modern marketplace is that each of us is on our own, a free agent, free to manage our own brands, free to live under bridges. Free to have side hustles, free to die alone without insurance. Market liberalism tells us we are masters beholden to none, but then it enslaves us in the awful isolation of consumerism and status anxiety. Millions of us are on to the con now. We're realizing now that a free for all is not the same as freedom for all. What truly makes us free is being bound to others in mutual aid and obligation, having to work things out the best we can in our neighborhoods and towns, as if our fates were entwined, because they are, as if we could not secede from one another, because in the end we cannot. Binding ourselves this way actually liberates us. It reveals that we are equal in dignity. It reminds us that rights come with responsibilities. It reminds us, in fact, that rights properly understood are responsibilities. The second reason why civic religion matters now is that it offers the healthiest possible story of us and them. We talk about identity politics today, as if it were something new, but it's not. All politics is identity politics—a never-ending struggle to define who truly belongs. Instead of noxious myths of blood and soil that mark some as forever outsiders, civic religion offers everyone a path to belonging, based only on a universal creed of contribution, participation, inclusion. In civic religion, the us is those who wish to serve, volunteer, vote, listen, learn, empathize, argue better, circulate power rather than hoard it. The them is those who don't. It is possible to judge the them harshly, but it isn't necessary. For at any time, one of them 
can become one of us simply by choosing to live like a citizen. So let's welcome them in. Whitney and Berto and Raphael are gifted welcomers. Each has a distinctive, locally rooted way to make faith in democracy relatable to others. Their slang might be Appalachian or Southside or Hawaiian. Their message is the same: civic love, civic spirit, civic responsibility. Now you might think that all the civic religion stuff is just for overzealous second-generation Americans like me, but actually. It is for anyone, anywhere, who wants to kindle the bonds of trust, affection, and joint action needed to govern ourselves in freedom. Now, maybe Civic Saturdays aren't for you. That's okay. Find your own ways to foster civic habits of the heart. Many forms of beloved civic community are thriving now in this age of awakening. Groups like Community Organizing Japan. Which uses creative, performative rituals of storytelling to promote equality for women. In Iceland, civil confirmations, where young people are led by an elder to learn the history and civic traditions of their society, culminating in a rite of passage ceremony, akin to church confirmation. Ben Franklin circles in the United States, where friends meet monthly to discuss and reflect upon the virtues that Franklin codified in his autobiography. Like justice and gratitude, and forgiveness. I know civic religion is not enough to remedy the radical inequities of our age. We need power for that. But power without character is a cure worse than the disease. I know civic religion alone can't fix corrupt institutions, but institutional reforms without new norms will not last. Culture is upstream of law. Spirit is upstream of policy. The soul is upstream of the state. We cannot unpollute our politics if we clean only downstream. We must get to the source. The source is our values. And on the topic of values, my advice is simple: have some. <laughs> Make sure those values are pro-social. Put them into practice, and do so in the company of others, with a structure of creed, deed, and joyful ritual that'll keep all of you coming back. Those of us who believe in democracy and believe it is still possible, we have the burden of proving it. But remember, it is no burden at all to be in a community where you are seen as fully human, where you have a say in the things that affect you, where you don't need to be connected to be respected. That is called a blessing, and it is available to all who believe. Thank you. For more TED talks, go to TED.com.